What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, host of the Adult Education Podcast. This is episode 67, and joining me today is one-third of new country group, the Chattahoochee's Nellie Joy. And before we get started, I first want to thank Jason Reeves for the amazing new podcast music that you can hear kind of underneath my talking right now. He was kind enough to produce that for us. So thank you so much, Jason, for that. Also, I want to take a second to thank you for checking out this podcast. Adult Education was formerly known as Be More Well. So if you're looking for Be More Well, you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. If you missed why I changed the name, you can check out episode 60 for more on that. But thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen. I hope you're able to find some new information, knowledge, and inspiration each week from my guests. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the show so you'll be notified of all future episodes. And if you've got a minute, it'll be very helpful if you could leave a rating and review so the podcasting gods know what you think of adult education. And we're on social media. The best place to find us is at Adult Education Podcast on Instagram. All right, so I'm starting something kind of different on the podcast this week. This is part one of a four-part series where I'll be talking with the members of the newly formed country group, the Chattahoochees. If you're not familiar with their music yet, it's okay. Like I said, it's brand new, but you should definitely look them up after you listen to this, of course. Look them up on Instagram and TikTok. Check out some of the music. I think you're going to love it. So who are the Chattahoochees? Well, the band consists of Nellie Joy, formerly of the Jane Deere Girls, Gone West, High Dive Heart, and her own solo career as well. And there's Audra May, who's just a killer singer and songwriter who has her own solo career for the last 15 years or so. And last but not least, there's Summer Overstreet, who is quickly becoming one of the most sought-after songwriters in Nashville. As you'll hear over the next few weeks, this trio came together kind of by accident and in a totally organic way to be one of the most interesting and exciting things coming out of Nashville, at least in my humble opinion. Over the next few weeks, you'll hear the stories of how that band came together, as well as backgrounds for each of these super talented women. Then after we air all three individual interviews, I'm going to sit down with all three together and have a chat about the group. I'm really excited about all of this. I've, I've just been a fan of Nelly's and Audra's over the years, and I'm learning so much about the incredible work of Summer now. I think you're going to enjoy this project a lot, so thank you so much for joining me for it. So let's dive in. The first conversation is with Nellie Joy. You may know her from her work with the Jane Deere Girls, Gone West, and there's also her work with her husband, Jason Reeves, with the duo High Dive Heart, and she's done solo work as well. It's safe to say that she's a pretty well-rounded artist that's paid her dues in Nashville, and you'll find out more about her story during our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Nothing like uh, a last-second messy diaper to change before going in to talk to somebody. I wouldn't know much about that, but I can imagine that that would be a lot. It's, you know, it never happens when you want it to. I mean, you never really want it to happen, but like it never happens when you're like prepared for it. It's always like, oh, we're about to leave the house and we have to stop. Hold on. <laughs> I, I, my, a lot of my friends say the same kind of thing. Like it's always right when you're leaving the house, there's like a blowout and then all of the clothes have to be changed and the whole deal. Yep. Everything. How long have you been doing this? Um, I started doing the podcast at the beginning of 2020, like January of 2020 was when I did my first episode and okay. it was, it was more like wellness based, but mm -hmm. over the last like year and a half or so, I've kind of had like weird feelings about the term wellness. Like I feel like too many people abuse it and there's like too many fraudulent things out there. And I just, I don't know. So I kind of steer away from that now. So I changed the name to adult education because I just like to learn about things. Um, okay. so that's kind of where it is. So it's still, I, I will still do interviews with people that are like quote unquote wellness experts or experts on some sort of like field, but it's not 
the only thing that I do in the podcast. Um, like I talk to artists once in a while. I've, I'm always hesitant to email or reach out to artists too. Cause I don't want people that I know to feel like I'm like abusing that connection. You know what I mean? It's like, like I was thinking oh, about I, interviewing you guys a long time ago, but I'm like, yeah, but I like, I don't want to abuse that relationship to like bug them for, you know, interviews, you know, I don't take it like that at all. I didn't think you would, but that's just like, that's my, that's my inner insecurities. I'm like, I don't want anybody to think I'm bothering them or. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think, um, if you were an asshole, then this would be a different conversation. <laughs> the first time that I won't say the first time that I met you, cause I met you with the Jane Deere girls on your radio tour. But when you guys came yeah. through with gone West, I was yeah. so terrified to meet you. And the reason was I knew that Diane was going to sell me as a big fan of your band. And in my head, <laughs> that was going to go poorly. Like you guys are going to be like, oh man, here's this crazy fan. This is going to be weird. And I was like, I just, I don't want, because sometimes label reps will do that because they want the artist to know that the radio people know who they are. So it comes from yeah. a good place, but sometimes it can come across as like, here's this crazy super fan. You might want to stay away from him. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you this much. Lock Money is so good at giving us like the cliff notes, you know, of what we're like walking into you and she had so many great things to say about you. And I mean, we can always tell when, when someone is bringing up our music from a place of like being a fan of music in general, rather than just, you know, the ulterior motives or things like that. And I just, you made such an impression on, on Jason and I, the fact that you like knew his solo music and, you know, remembered who I was and I could tell that you, really cared about songs and the production and like the process that was really inspiring for us. So I, yeah, no, it never, ever question yourself. It was a really fun meeting you and getting to know you and reconnecting. And, you know, I'm sure we'll see each other again. This is just the beginning. I sure hope so. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we were on a good run there for a bit and then, you know, things obviously went in a different direction, but, uh, but now you have a Gone new West. direction. <laughs> Gone West went south. Gone West, gone south. I have all kinds of names. Gone south, dead west. Um, you know, yeah. In other words, gone west is no more. <laughs> but, I have to laugh about it because if I don't laugh about it, I'll cry. And I don't really want to cry uh, on this interview. But it was like such a blessing to make music with those three amazingly talented humans. I learned so much from being in a band with my husband and with Justin and Colby as well, like they're both extremely professional and talented in their own right as singers and songwriters and producers. And so if it weren't for Gone West, I would have totally been done as an artist. I, I was comfortable. I was comfortable writing songs for other people for the rest of my life. I was comfortable producing songs for other people, trying to find new talent, trying to help other artists develop. I literally had no desire to ever make like a commercial push as an artist ever again. And Gone West really yanked me out of that comfort zone of just writing songs for other people and put me back on stage, which I'm just really grateful for that because once Gone West did end, I looked at Jason and I was like, I'm not done yet. I love country music. I've always loved country music. I think I tried to get away from it for a little bit, but I just can't because it's in my DNA. It's, it's why I moved to Nashville. Um, it's, it's so important to me to be able to write songs that tell stories and there's no other genre that does it like country. And so he just kind of looked at me and he's like, well, if you're not done, you just need to figure out what your next phase is going to be. And, um, 
goodness gracious, never thought it would be in a girl band. Uh, <laughs> that kind of came out of nowhere, but you know, God has a plan. And I've learned that I can't really like design my life the way I want it to go. It's just on this trajectory that I don't know, it's super magical. And I'm just kind of trying to enjoy it now and like take in every day and every step of the process because I know this is probably truly my last hurrah. I know I probably said that the last time, but like truly, I'm like a car with like 500,000 miles and I don't know if I can do two more radio tours <laughs> like physically, <laughs> mentally and emotionally, it's fun. Like I have no issues going around and saying hi to friends, but physically it's like, whoa, it's a lot. How does that feel, you know, as an artist that's been performing and playing? Because I know you really started to write music. I think I saw when you were about 17 or so. So, you know, yeah. for, for this long in your life to be writing and recording and performing, how did it feel for you to sit down and say, like, you know what? I don't need that anymore. You know, before Gone West came about when you said you were like all done, like you were still working in music. Music will always be right. a part of your life. I I imagine you're yep. never going to stop working with music, but, you know, no, but performing, you're so good at it. And it seems to be a part <laughs> of your DNA as well. Well, I, I would imagine there was a, an interesting feeling and it was a tough decision probably. It was a tough decision, but I kind of just always follow the energy in life. And Jane Deere Girls was the door that opened everything else in my life up for me. I mean, if I had not fallen into that band, I would have never got my first outside country radio single, which was That's Why I Pray for Big and Rich. Like, if I wouldn't have been in Jane Deere Girls, John Rich wouldn't have been producing my album. And he wouldn't have heard that song, which I wrote for the Jane Deere girls and it didn't make the album oddly enough. And so right when that band broke up, John said, I want to record this song, Kenny and I love it. And I'm like, you're one of the best songwriters in the world. Why are you wanting to use my song? Like, sure, you can have it. Um, and then right at the same time as that was happening, Kelly Clarkson recorded a song of mine and I was going through a really tough time. This is right when Jason and I got married, which that wasn't tough. That was like the best blessing in my life. But I, my dog died. And then I found out I have this disease called endometriosis and I um, needed surgery. Like very quickly I needed surgery. And all of a sudden my life just went 180. And, and it was like, I went from being on stage opening up for Brad Paisley and Blake Shelton and Jason Aldean to just whoosh, the band was gone. And at the same time, I feel like I was so lucky because these other things as a songwriter started to happen simultaneously. And the aha moment for me, oddly enough, this is a really wild story, but I was, um, is it an MRI machine or is it a, uh, cat scan when you have to lay still in the tube for like what feels like an hour, but it's oh, like half an hour. I want to say MRI, but I could be wrong. Okay. Did you have to like take all the metal off your body? Because yeah, oh, yeah. that's probably an MRI. And it's, and it's just really loud. Do, 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 do. And, so they, and they were trying, this was when they were like, okay, we think you have endometriosis. We don't know. There's something going on. So they put me in this, the tube, we'll call it the tube, MRI, to help shield from the loud noise. They put headphones on. Lo and behold, I, they didn't even ask me what kind of music I wanted to listen to. They put a country radio station on. And I, at the time I was like, Jane Deere girls had just broken up. And I was like, why did they put the country radio station on in my headphones? This is already torture. I'm sitting in an MRI machine, like miserable. I'm in pain. My life's falling apart, blah, blah, blah. My dog just died. Woe is me. Long story short, it was in that MRI machine that I heard. That's why I pray come on the radio for the first time. And I literally wanted to scream. I wanted to jump. I wanted to dance. And I couldn't just like tears just started 
falling down my face. And I realized that at this point in my life, I needed to rest and I needed to heal and I needed to get my health back because I had lost my health. And it, you know, endometriosis is, yeah, it's a common disease that a lot of women have. But for me, it was affecting my kidneys. It was affecting um, just everything in my body. Everything just stopped and I had to have surgery. And I just think it's so interesting that in that moment, John Rich took my song and gave it life. You know, the person, the first person I met in town was John Rich. We're both from Amarillo. It was such a like full circle moment that one of the best songwriters and one of my mentors wanted to record one of my songs. And it gave me a second life in music because all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, I could write songs for other people. And to be honest, whether I'm hearing a Gone West song on the radio or Jane Deere Girls, Girls song on the radio, something with my voice on it or a big and rich song that I wrote and I'm not singing on, it literally hits me the same. I don't get sad when I hear that's why I pray and think, man, I really should have sang that song. If anything, I'm like, golly, they made that sound so much better than I could have ever done, <laughs> you know? So yes, I was really sad to hang up my boots and my high heels and shift out of performing for a while. But at the same time, it's what my body needed. And I was so grateful that I could even have another career in music. You know, what a huge blessing to go from one job to another job. And I felt like it was also a great opportunity for me to help young women that were coming up in country music and just, you know, try to inspire them and encourage them and be like an older woman that they could bounce things off of. And I got to write with so many cool artists that were about to go on radio tour. And I would just kind of give them the prep talk on take your vitamins, get your sleep, don't drink too much alcohol. In fact, maybe don't drink at all. Like, you know, all these things that someone should have told me before I did my first radio tour. So yeah, it was a really cool thing to shift into working for other people. And at that time, even though it was bittersweet, I was really happy and content in that because also I had just gotten married and Jason and I could write together with artists. And that was really cool. And like something different for us, you know, and we got to work with Jesse and Joy and had a song with them that went on to get nominated for a Grammy and like getting to go walk the Grammys with my husband with like him in my arm knowing that it was for a song that we wrote like that was just as cool to me as being the artist walking the carpet and people knowing who you are you know it was kind of cool to be behind the scenes and just like see Jesse and Joy, they're the ones getting bombarded by paparazzi and they're having to sign all the autographs and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, kind of laughing, like we wrote the song. Nobody really cares about us. It's kind of nice. <laughs> like it didn't bother me. Um, Cause I feel like I needed a break. Yeah. And it seems like it came so, at the right time. Like it, it seems like the world kind of put you there at the right time for you. I mean, unfortunately, you had to go through the endometriosis stuff. I mean, I'm not saying that was a good thing, but it just no, seemed like no. like when that was discovered, it seemed like the world was like, okay, this is everything is going to stop right now, but you're going to find a new lane. Yeah. And honestly, like had Jane Deere Girls not stopped touring, I, I can't even, I don't even want to think about what would have happened with sure. my health. But I mean, I had reached a place where I straight up blacked out before a show oh, wow. uh, because because I didn't realize that I had become anemic because of endometriosis. And um, it was just like a super humbling experience for me because 
we couldn't figure out what it was that was wrong. And I think sometimes people think females are being dramatic because some of us are, and I am dramatic by nature, like for sure. But this was, I have a pretty like high pain threshold. I mean, I've broken my wrist and had surgery when I was pole vaulting. I broke my rib in gymnastics. Like I didn't even cry when I broke bones, but endometriosis straight up knocked me on my ass. And I was in tears so many times I couldn't walk. Like the pain was so debilitating that it was affecting every other organ in my body pretty much. And so thank God I had the time because that band ended to go have surgery and recover. And they went in there and there was all kinds of things wrong that they ended up needing to fix. And I, once I started to heal, I was like, Oh my gosh, I had been in so much pain. My pain, pain was my norm. And I just didn't realize it because I'd been in pain for so long. And then once I felt relief, I was like, Oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. (laughs) Whoa, I'm getting my body back. (laughs) Yeah. It was a, eye-opening experience. So I I don't take health for granted anymore. And it should always come first from here on out. Like no matter what I'm doing, health first, lesson learned. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's kind of sad. I've gone through similar things, um, to not quite as heavy as endometriosis and all that, but, um, it's sad that it takes a moment like that to make you realize how much you need to put your health first, you know? Yeah. I it's, it's crazy how everything in your life affects your health, whether it be what you're eating, what you're drinking, your stress levels, how much sleep you're getting, um, all of it affects your health. And so, yeah, once I got my health back, I, I really made that like a mission to try and encourage other females, especially to take the power back and like do as much as you can on your own naturally. If you need to see a doctor, don't think that you're, you know, what was it? My, my surgeon was like, we don't need heroes. You know, like if you're puking your brains out and you're in excruciating pain, you have to go to the doctor. Right. <laughs> like, don't be a hero. And I'll just, I'll never forget that he said that to me. Cause I think in my mind, I was like, Oh, but I'm tough and I can brave it. And he was like, no, by you doing that, you're hurting your body worse. Like, you know, you have to know when it's time to, to just lay, lay down your pride and go get help. So I did that. Well, we uh, kind of jumped ahead, um, but yeah, I'm glad we, sorry. no, no, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad it went that direction. Cause that's, you know, a lot more than, I mean, these are things I didn't know. So I'm glad we talked about that, but I just want to like, kind of do the abridged version of your life. If you don't mind, can we go back okay. a little bit? So you're, you're originally from Texas, but I, I read somewhere that you lived in Virginia as well. So how did that work mm-hmm. out? So when I was four years old, my father decided we should move to Virginia because he was a home builder and there were some great opportunities out there. And so we moved to Virginia and I was there from the time I was four until I was 13, which is why I don't sound super Southern (laughs) being from Texas. I do say things like y'all and, you know, I feel like when I go home and I'm around my mom, I start saying real funny things like over there yonder and, you know, the Southern accent kicks in, but Virginia was where the bulk of my childhood really was. So I don't have that strong Southern accent, but I'm grateful I got to be raised there because I grew up outside, you know, playing sports with the boys. Mostly I'll I'll never forget. I was such a tomboy in my, at some point the, the community team, they made me switch to a girl's team because I was too old to be playing with the boys. And I'll never forget having to put on a pink Jersey and just crying, thinking that my life was over. (laughs) I was like, I was just such a 
a tomboy. I wanted to run and play and race with the boys because I had a brother. And so I just hung out with him and all of his friends. Um, but yeah, I also did gymnastics. That was like the bulk of my childhood. I was really serious about it. Of course, I thought I was going to go to the Olympics. I don't know if I ever really would have been good enough to go, but in my brain, that's <laughs> the trajectory I was on. And I quit when I was like 11 or 12, because I wanted to get my life back. I was literally training four days a week, four hours a day and doing school, which is a lot. Went to Germany to train for a little bit, which oh, was wow. cool when I was really young. So I was really serious about it. Um, and I think the gymnastics kind of taught me, it laid the foundation of learning how to handle pressure cooker situations. I don't ever get nervous when I go on stage to play. Like I might be nervous before, Four, but then once I'm on stage, I'm just at peace. Yeah. And I, I think that comes from gymnastics and just being extremely focused when I was really young and all the eyes are on you for three minutes, however long your routine is. That's a lot of pressure when you're a kid. So I'm grateful I had that experience because it, I feel like it's what kind of laid the foundation for me to be brave enough to be an entertainer later in life. You know, I just heard Ed Sheeran uh, talking about something similar, you know, that's when he's on that stage, he's in his element, he's in the zone and, and, and like the world can't touch him. But he said, what's funny is only if he has his guitar, if his guitar is not in his hands, he doesn't know what to do. He panics. He freaks out. Like, it's like, he can't do it. He needs the guitar. That's like his security blanket or whatever on that stage. But if you take the guitar away from him, he's just like, what do I do with my hands? I don't know. It sounds, it sounds like the guitar might be an adult version of a pacifier for him of some sort. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I can relate to that. Like it, you can definitely, it can be a scary transition when you take the guitar off because if you're a songwriter at heart and that's where, the music comes from, which for me, that's definitely, it started as songwriting and then evolved into entertaining. So yeah, if you take the guitar away, you're like, Oh, wait a minute. That's my, that's my lifeline. <laughs> um, I can relate to him in that way, but being in Jane Deere girls, Susie was such an entertainer. And so she pulled me out of my comfort zone and I'm grateful I was in that band because she had been performing since she was four years old. Me, I didn't start writing songs or doing music until I was 17. So it was all new for me getting on stage and doing a show. And she gave me the confidence to do things like put the guitar down, pick up the mic, go interact with the crowd. You know, I had to keep up with her because she was really good on stage. Like that was her element. I came from more of the songwriting background and she was more from the entertaining background. So I feel like I kind of helped her learn how to write songs and she taught me how to you know, get on stage and, and have fun with it. There kind of always seems to be in duos. There always seems to be that sort of like situation where you've got one that's kind of the entertainer and then one that's mm -hmm. maybe the songwriter or the producer, like Dan and Shay. Shay is the entertainer. Oh, Dan yeah. is the producer and the song, you know, and I, I think Pretty Florida Georgia line, the same thing. I think Sugarland, I mean, Jennifer Nettles. Oh my gosh, that woman on a stage. You can't take your eyes yeah. off her when she's performing. She's and Christian's yeah. great too. Christian's amazing. He's a great producer. He's a great songwriter. You know, so everybody brings their own talents, but it's funny in duos how it always seems to be like one is mm -hmm. the performer and one is the songwriter. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And then what ends up happening is the more you work together, your, your talents and gifts, they merge, you know, I mean, being in a band is like being married minus the sex, <laughs> <laughs> which is really interesting, but you know, you're with that person all the time. You're working together 24 seven, your entire life revolves around, um, each other's schedules. And, and it's, it's such a, 
it's, I, I don't know. I just love being in bands because there's a power in numbers and, you know, making music by myself is fun too. That's, I have no issue doing that. And I've been doing that in COVID to learn how to become a better singer and producer and writer and all those things. But there's something intangibly magical that happens when you can put one or two or three or four people together. There's a synergy that happens that is really unique. And I think that's been my favorite part about being an artist is like being able to share it with other people. So when gymnastics ends, I read you became a pole vaulter and I need to understand pole vaulting because this is one of those sports that I've seen on the Olympics and I've seen on TV. I, I just cannot understand it. Like, I just don't understand how the body moves, (laughs) how the pole moves, how you hold on to the pole that long. Like I just, none of it makes any sense to me. Well, thinking back on it, it doesn't really make sense to me either. Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, who came up with the idea to, to hold a really long pole, run down a really long stretch of pavement, stick it in the ground and go flying in the air? I don't know. It's a really bizarre thing to do. And and to be honest, in Amarillo, so I went from Virginia to Texas, 13 years old, moved there. And yeah, sports just continued with track, volleyball, basketball, all of them. But track was like my main love. and hurdles was my first love. And then they added the event pole vault, but honestly, nobody wanted to do it. No females wanted to do it. And I've, I was always that little, I had a little bit of rebel in me. Oh, nobody else wants to do it. I want to do it. Sign me up. Like that should have been my first sign. If nobody else wants to do it, it's because maybe it's really dangerous, you know? Um, maybe it's cause it's really hard, which it was, it was all those things. It was literally one of the hardest things I've ever done. And the only reason I think I could get away with doing it was because of my gymnastics training, yeah. because at that point in my life, I was still strong. I did cheerleading so I could do backflips and backhand springs and pull-ups. Now I, I don't even think I could do one pull-up. I've lost all my strength, but back in the days when I was really in shape, yeah, it, it wasn't that hard to learn pole vaulting for me because it was so similar to gymnastics, like the high bar and just flying around and jumping. It was like a lot of the same body movements being flexible with your back. But anyway, long story short, I, I, I did pretty well at it. I run, I won my district and then ended up breaking my wrist. So I had surgery. I flew over the mats and just, thank God I had a helmet on, had a helmet on. So I hit my head, but immediately I knew I broke my wrist. It just went, and I heard it. And after that, I needed to learn how to move my wrist more just on my own. I didn't want to go to rehab. So that's when I picked up guitar because my brother, my brother had been writing songs since he was like in fourth grade, my younger brother. I only have one brother. I always thought that was so cool that he could write songs and put all of his emotions into music. And I was a pent up teenager with a lot to say specifically about ex-boyfriends. And so I... (laughs) I learned like four chords. My brother taught me how to play like four chords. And after I had that surgery, I started writing songs and playing guitar because it made me move my wrist. That was kind of like your rehab. Yeah. It was my rehab. Guitar was my rehab. That's kind of what started it for me. Oddly enough was a pole vaulting injury. Uh, I fell into music. That's what one person said at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we move Uh, on to music more, I just have one question about pole vaulting. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And you may not be able to describe this. How do you, how do you aim the pole like successfully to hit 
like where it needs to go. Like I think about how many times I've missed the trash can from a foot away. And like, <laughs> meanwhile, you're running at full speed, holding this, like, I don't even know. What is it? Like a 15 foot long pole, something like that. 10 it's foot long, pole. long. It's pretty long, but you know what, when you're running, as you get further down the pavement, there's actually like, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's like a hole in the ground that is made for the pole to kind of slide into it. Oh, okay. So, so kind of like, it's like a track almost like it aims at, yeah. okay. So it's like, as long as you're not drunk and wobbly, <laughs> you know, and if you're like keeping it, it would be hard. I mean, I'm sure I missed it plenty of times, but when you're first learning pole vault, the only thing you do is run with the pole, run with the pole, stick it in the hole. And you don't even go up in the area. Yes. Like that's yeah. the first, however many months of pole vaulting is just learning how to run with the pole and stick it into the hole. And, um, and then from there, you learn how to start getting up in the air and then getting over the bar. Um, my, my poor parents, I like, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I ever have a child, please don't do gymnastics or pole vaulting. Like <laughs> the most dangerous, I know my parents just probably sat there on pins and needles, like holding their breath, praying God that I wouldn't get hurt or like break my neck. But uh, I really put them through it. And I got to say, my parents were really supportive of anything and everything I ever wanted to do. They never said, no, you can't do that. And I love that they made me believe that I could do something as crazy as pole vaulting, even though like only two girls at our school ended up doing it. They, they didn't care. Like, you're like, yeah, if you want to do it, you should do it. And thinking back, I know they were like biting their tongue and holding their breath thinking, why pole vaulting? <laughs> Just run a lap around the track or do something safe. That's not like aerodynamic could, you know, break bones, which it did anyway. So I'm hoping if I ever have a child someday that karma won't come back and you know, it is your parent. Now you're probably just sitting there going, Oh, I really hope my child doesn't do blank when, you know, they grow up there. It's funny. It's, it's almost kind of like the opposite for me because, um, my, my household was so strict and so restrictive um, oh, that okay. I like, I almost want her to want to do everything because I want to be able oh, to be oh, there with her and support her through so many different things. And, and that's not to say that like my, my parents were bad or I had a bad fit. It was just, they, they came from a different time and they just had a different way of parenting. Uh, and as an yeah. adult, I can kind of understand that as a kid, I didn't get it. But like, as an adult, I understand where their heads were at, but like, it wasn't, I wasn't allowed to do anything basically. So like, I want to like, I want to do things with my daughter. I want to be the dad in the back of the concert that all the kids are up front hanging out. Like I, I want to do all those things so bad when she gets that. older. <laughs> That's really special. Yeah. I, I hope someday to have a little girl, that would be fun. They're, they're fun so far. Uh, we're 11 months into this process. Oh <laughs> so. yeah. Give it like 12 years. It's going to get really interesting really quick. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure she'll have a lot of feelings <laughs> at some point for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you break your wrist, you learn guitar at 19. Yes. You, I read you entered a contest. It was the got milk songwriting <laughs> challenge. Oh my gosh. You really did your research, didn't you? Well, First off, got milk. I don't even think I drank milk. How did I, I'm wondering like, how did I even find out about that contest? Like that is the strangest thing to do. I entered a songwriting contest and I got a band together and I played a couple original songs. And I think I was probably terrible. I really think I probably sucked, but somehow I won and I got a thousand dollars and I thought I was rich. And I thought I was just like a rock star going to, you know, <laughs> make it happen. But I was in college at the time studying, I got my degree in psychology, thought I wanted to do like women's health, health or something like that. But then the more I got into college, the more the music stuff 
kept kind of falling into place. And so I don't know. I just follow energy in life. And I was like, Hey mom and dad, I got my degree. <laughs> now I'm not going to use it. <laughs> and I followed my brother to Nashville because he was going to Belmont. So I was like, okay, this is the perfect excuse oh, to cool. go there. Yeah. Is your brother still in Nashville? Is he still in music? I wish he was still in Nashville. Um, he is in music in a way. He stopped writing songs for a long time. My brother is like, one of the best songwriters I've ever heard, like he'll just write a song in like 15 minutes, no problem by himself. And he doesn't co-write or anything like that. His style is super folky. In, in high school, it was more like rock, but it's evolved into more like folky kind of stuff. So anyway, most recently, the thing that my brother did that I think is so awesome. A couple of years ago, Amarillo, Texas got a baseball team. And when it's, I think it's AAA or AA, one of those smaller size teams, they have these really quirky, funny names. Like that's just how, yeah, yeah. It's part of the culture. Right. So there was like five different names. And one of the names that was up for grabs was called the sod poodles. And every, everyone in Amarillo thought it was like the worst name. It's so funny. There were all the names were bad. Like, let's be real. And one of my brother's friends dared him to write a sod poodle anthem. And my brother did in 15 minutes, wrote this little song, posted on Facebook, and it went viral. Wow. Literally, it went viral. It went onto the radio stations. It went on the TV outlets. And because of that, the Amarillo team is now called the Sod Poodles. And they play. <laughs> My brother ended up coming back to Nashville. We recorded the song together. Uh, he sang it. And now at the baseball games, at the hometown baseball games, it's the it's literally the anthem it was a 15 minute song he wrote as a joke, of course. Uh, so it's funny that like, he doesn't, he doesn't live in Nashville and he's not trying to necessarily do music professionally, but I mean, I'm sure he could, if he really wanted to, it's just hilarious that of course, like the one thing he tries to do, it panned out yeah. pretty well. And I mean, I swear to you, like when I go home to Amarillo and we walk into a restaurant, no one gives a flying flip about me. They just see my brother, like that's, the, that's the sod poodle guy. Like, you know, I feel like I've done some pretty cool stuff in music and I've been on the radio there with different songs and like, they don't care. They're literally like, that's a sad poodle guy, you know? <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's, it's really cool to see things like that. And he gets to go to the game now and bring his kids. And so his kids awesome. get to hear him. It's just really cool. Going home is the most humbling thing ever, isn't it? Like they, <laughs> yeah. they definitely like, like I, I went home for my 10 year high school reunion and, and I haven't been, you know, I, I don't have songs on the radio and all that, but like I left, I grew up in New Hampshire and I left town. Most people stay in the area. You know, they don't really go anywhere. I left town. I was living in Philadelphia. I lived in DC. I lived in Baltimore. I was hosting a morning radio show in Baltimore. And I thought I'm going to go back home and I've got like, I've got stories. I've got like a resume now that I can walk in here and be, no one could give a shit that I did any of that. Like everyone just fell right back into their same old like thing. No one cared. I was like, all right, I guess I'm good. I don't need to come back for any more of these. Yeah. yeah. I think if anything, I mean, people are fascinated by where my journey has taken me just because in high school I didn't do music. I was a sports girl, yeah. you know? So I, I started writing songs like you said earlier when I was 17 years old and, but I play, I didn't play them out really. I, I wrote them and I was in the basement of my house and I was going through like a really kind of dark time in school dealing with some bullying and just, I mean, at one point I was like literally scared to go to school um, because of different rumors and, and things that were made up about me. And so music saved me. Like it just gave me 
songwriting specifically gave me a voice and a place to put my emotions that I that I didn't have before and I mean no one heard those first songs like just my best friend Drew uh, she would come over and uh, listen to them and I think by the time I was graduating I slowly started to kind of play out a little bit but again I wasn't known as a musician in high school so now when I go home people are like whoa you really <laughs> you took a you took a hard right turn you know and I think most people are just kind of curious about the life that I live because it is really different compared to a lot of the kids I grew up with in high school they have nine to five jobs they have a bunch of kids by now I'm like a little bit late in that department um you know and I wake up and I write songs or I do a show it's very weird to try and explain that to someone oh sure it's a different way of life that people won't necessarily understand I totally understand that um was Jane Beer Girls then like your first like real group, I guess. I mean, you said mm-hmm. you put a band together for that songwriting contest, but was Jane Deere girls like your first official like thing? Yeah. So I moved to Nashville. I graduated college in like two and a half years because I hated to sit in class. Like what? I was just, wait, hold on two and a yeah. half years. <laughs> well, I went in, you know, how you in high school, you can do AP classes, oh, AP sure. class. So I went in almost as a sophomore. And, and then once I got there, it's funny because the music stuff like I entered these music contests like that one that you found. And then I also entered like a, a, I think it was like a battle of the bands thing in college and got that happened for me. And so within six months of being in school, I'm like, shoot, I know I want to do music forever, but I really need to get my degree because my parents will be super disappointed uh, if I don't do that, if I don't have like a backup plan. So I was like, okay, how do I make everybody happy? Well, I take 20 hours and I don't do summer break and I get out in two and a half years. And that's literally what I did. I graduated so fast so that I could go chase my dreams and have my degree and not make my parents pissed. (laughs) (laughs) And so I came to, to Nashville wanting to write songs. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think that I had a shot at the artist thing because I just, I knew the caliber of talent. I didn't feel like I had what it took to be an artist, but I felt like I had what it took to to be maybe a songwriter. So I focused on that. And what's crazy is John Rich was literally one of the first people I met when I moved to town. And he's from Amarillo. I'm from Amarillo. He immediately took me under his wing. He's like, calls me West Texas still to this day. Um, And he kind of just became like a mentor and a safe place for me to bounce songs off of. And not too long after I met him, I met Susie. And so of course, I played John some of the songs Susie and I wrote in the very beginning, and he did one of the hardest, best things anyone's ever done for me. And he said, I get where you're going with these songs. Like he said, you guys have potential. I think you have something here. He's like, but these songs are terrible. And he said, please don't play them for anyone because first impressions are everything in this town. And he said, I know your work ethic. I know you're going to work hard. You're going to get better. You need to surround yourself with songwriters that are better than you are so that you can learn the craft because I had only written by myself really. And, you know, I was like learning how to co-write, but it was a foreign thing to me. Like, how do you get in a room and share your heart and be so vulnerable with someone when you're just meeting them? Like it was, took me a minute to learn how to do that. So he really did me a favor because those songs were terrible. Like if you heard them, you'd be like, Whoa, okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> so then three years later, after a lot of hard work, a lot of development, Susie and I writing with a lot of songwriters that were way better than we were, like Danny Myrick, Jeffrey Steele, different people that took a chance on us before we were anything, we got better. We got better songs. We got better at performing. And John heard the growth in the new songs. And he was like, okay, you guys are ready. And he hopped in and um, wanted to produce us. So he produced some songs and helped us get a record deal. And we were off to the races. And it's just so weird because he's literally the first person I met when I moved to town. Um, but I didn't work with him until like three years later. I do love every time I see the Jane Deere girls on um, Heart of Dixie, uh, which <laughs> I, I'm i not even remotely ashamed to admit how much I've watched that show because Rachel Bielsen oh, is like my girl. Like that, like if oh. like if anybody, if you have to pick like one person that's like your, you know, like your person, like that's Rachel Bielsen for me. So like Heart of okay. Dixie is like my show. Um, but, uh, every time I see it, I get so excited. I'm like, I know them. I, well, I don't know Susie, but like, <laughs> like I know them. Susie's doing really well. She's in Utah. She has kids. She still like teaches music and stuff like that. And heart of Dixie was, um, and we're still in touch by the way. Like we, we text and talk every once in a while and, yeah. and we still love each other. And I, I wish we could hang out more, but she just doesn't live in Nashville anymore. Well, sure. That, that makes a difference. <laughs> yeah. But in that moment, I just remember the, oh, I vividly remember that Warner brothers told Susie and I, that we were going to have to dress as pirates for the heart of Dixie show. And Susie and I looked at each other and we were like, absolutely not. We're not dressing like pirates. So we made our entire band dress. like pirates. <laughs> we're like, they can do it. The guitar player, the bass player, the drummer, like they all had to wear these bizarre costumes. And Susie and I just wore cute stuff. And they, <laughs> I don't know how we got away with that because we were literally supposed to dress like pirates. <laughs> um, I'm glad we didn't though, because it was such a cool opportunity. I will say it, any desire I may have had going into that to like be an actress, it's, it squashed it. Yeah. <laughs> it took all day to film a couple minutes of a song, you know? And I was just thinking these actors and actresses have so much patience They're It takes all day to shoot 30 minutes or whatever. I, d I just don't feel like I'm cut out for that at all. Yeah. I don't have that kind of patience either. I could never do that. <laughs> yeah. But it was a really cool opportunity. And, um, I would love to do more things like that in the future for sure. Not that I want to gloss over the Jane Deere girls experience, but you, you said you're still friends with Susie. I, I don't think I ever heard how it ended. Did it just, just kind of run its course or. It did. It, it ran its course. Ultimately Susie decided that she wanted to make a solo record nice. and yeah. And then it just kind of fizzled out from there. Um, I think that at that point I just knew I wanted to write songs and I was having so many health issues that the yeah. timing of it was actually like perfect for my life to just kind of switch out of doing 200 shows a year and be at home with my husband. So I had just gotten married and, um, and kind of, like I said, get my health back and then reevaluate my life and what, you know, God wanted for me and my career. And I think that the Jane Deere girls, like I said, it, it opened all the doors for me to, to, to lay this foundation of what now has become my career. And it's also how I met my husband. So that's pretty cool. How did um, you meet Jason? I don't know if I ever heard that story. Yeah. So Sony, we were both writing for Sony publishing at the time and they set us up on a co-write. It was Susie, Jason, and I, and Susie to this day, she'll joke about how like she was there, but she like, wasn't there. <laughs> 
because the minute Jason and I started writing together, there was just like instant connection that we had. It was very fast. It was very fluid. It was like we could complete each other's sentences and thoughts and melodies without even trying really. But I had a boyfriend. So I was just kind of like, oh, why do I have this connection with this cool guy? And I couldn't really do anything about it because I had been with this other guy for quite a quite a long time, actually. So Jason and I just became friends. That was it. We were friends. Well, admittedly, he said he loved me at first sight. Oh. So, but he played it super cool. I had no idea. I literally thought he was just like my friend. We wrote this whole album. We were supposed to write for Jane Deere Girls, which we did end up writing one song called Free Ride that made the Jane Deere album. But there, all, all the other songs we wrote went on his album. He was on Warner Brothers making a pop record because Cara Diaguardi had signed him as an artist. And we did this whole album called The Love Sick yeah. together. I, I sang on it. We, we wrote it together. And it wasn't until the end of that album that he, he and I had too much tequila one night. And he confessed to me that the songs were actually about me, that I was the inspiration. So I got tricked into writing a song with him about me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Like, and there were times, there were literally times we were writing this album and I thought, it's kind of weird. He's never talked about who the girl is. You know, he never said her name. He never like said what she looked like or anything like that. And I, I don't know. And there were a few moments where the energy was so obviously special between us that I thought maybe he does like me. Maybe this is about me, but I didn't want to be so egotistical to just assume that, you know? Yeah. And so then once I realized that that's where the music was coming from was this love story that we kind of had, I just, my heart kind of melted. I mean, if you want to get a girl to fall in love with you, write a whole album about her with her. It worked quite well. I mean, that could go either way, though. Like that, that could, that <laughs> led to you falling in love with them, but that also could have led to you running as fast as possible in the other direction. That's a risk. It is. It's a risk. And we were like best friends. So that within itself was a risk. Anyway, long story short, I had to dump the guy I was with. I was <laughs> that just sounded so brutal. I was about to call him something rude, but I shouldn't do that. I had to get out of one relationship that was not good for me. And then I was single for a good, like nine months, almost a year. And then the next time Jason and I saw each other, we were it. just like, that we were together from that moment out. And we ended up getting married like a year later. We just eloped with my parents um, back at home in Texas. We got married in this house that my dad built that sits on the edge of the Canyon. My dad and brother, like with their bare hands, five years, I think it took them to build this house. And so we got married there at sunrise. I was wearing my grandma's dress, which was 53 years old. Wow. And my mom, my mom's veil and my other grandma's pearls. And I was barefoot. So I was definitely the cheapest bride ever. <laughs> and it was the irony in this whole thing was that was the week that uh, Susie quit the band. Oh, wow. I, I guess I didn't realize Jane Deere girls stretched that far into that. Yeah, I guess the mm -hmm. timing didn't didn't line up in my head that way. That's interesting. Well, but no one really knew I was getting married because we were eloping. So like my publicist didn't know. Yeah. Um, I got in a little trouble for that later. Uh, <laughs> like I ended up finally telling my record label because the band was literally breaking up in a week that I was leaving town and I wanted them to understand, hey guys, I need a few days to disappear 
and just don't blow my phone up. I know this is really important, but actually I'm getting married and that's a little more important. <laughs> you know, um, the, like the timing of it was so surreal. But again, I feel like God was closing one door and simultaneously opening another. Um, and it was a really hard time in my life, but what better person to weather it with than my husband? Like, you know, I, I had a partner in crime to dream with and to live with and to weather things with. So anyway, it, it was, I thought Jane Deere was my everything. And I think that that was a really big lesson for me is just learning in life that when you're doing something you love, it shouldn't define you and it, and it shouldn't be your everything. You know, it's just a part of one thing that you do, you know, but I had put so much weight on it. And I thought that my music career was just going to be whoosh done literally. And what I couldn't see in that moment was that no, my music career was just beginning. And Jane Deere girls laid the foundation for me to understand, like to understand everything that I know now and to grow into a songwriter and a performer and a producer and a lot of things that I can do now. So I'm really grateful that it all worked out the way that it did. Yeah. It's all building blocks. I mean, everything you do is a building block that leads you to the next step. And, you know, so even though it may have seemed heartbreaking at the time, um, like we talked about earlier in this conversation, you know, you were going through the health issues, uh, you were entering into a new phase with Jason, like it just kind of, it, it, it's all a building block in life to get you to that next step. And uh, side note, I love your love. Like, I love you and Jason, like the way you can, like, I, I've been sort of, I always feel like I sound like a stalker when I say this, but I've been following no, you guys because I knew Jason, you know, around the same time that I knew Jane Deere girls. And then when I saw you two were together, I was like, wow, this, that's phenomenal. I mean, I love what she's done with Jane Deere girls. I love this guy. Like, and just following you over the years, like you guys have such a, a such a great way of caring for each other. And I just, I appreciate that so much. Thank you. I, I just got the chills when you said that. <laughs> I, 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 it's like, sometimes I feel like I talk about my husband too much because I love him so much and I don't want to just sound like goo goo gaga and, and mushy gushy. And, you know, I'm like, oh, am I wearing people out? <laughs> like, you know, telling stories about my husband or our love. I, but I do think it's really special. And I think that, um, he just makes me a better person. I just feel really lucky that I have someone in my life that understands me 120%. I don't have to explain any, and he loves the bad parts of me as much as the good parts. And I call him the firefighter because I feel like innately, I, I would be one to like pick a fight. I love confrontation. I'm not afraid of it at all. Uh, and he's just like the firefighter water. <laughs> takes my takes my flame before it bursts into flames down he goes you know and he just like balances me out in a really cool way i pray for all my friends that they find their person and a lot of them have found their person but there's nothing cooler than seeing one of your best friends or your family members find love and find their person because usually that's when they start to blossom as yeah. a human being and i feel like that's definitely been the case for me in my life like i look back at who I was when I was 20 something. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. I was a little bit of a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> Musically too. I mean, I think that, that your relationship with Jason and how you two have grown together, I think that also really influenced and shaped your music as well. And his on top of that too. I mean, I think the two of you combined as, you know, one team effort have really altered the pathways that you guys are both on. For sure. 
And ultimately, I just think we're each other's biggest cheerleaders. So whatever it is in life that we're passionate about or we're wanting to do, whether it's Jason wanting to do photography more or me exploring the pot, the potential of being in a neuro, a new band called the Chattahoochee's like, if it weren't for Jason, I don't know that I would have jumped off the band ledge again. You know, Jason literally called it before any of us could even see it. Summer, Audra, or I, we were just writing songs in the pandemic, trying to get through a really hard time. And so we wrote funny songs to make ourselves laugh. And Jason's like, this is going to be huge. And I'm like, that's what <laughs> he's like, Oh, just wait for it. You know? And like six months later, Michael Elizondo is wanting to make an album on us. And I'm like, Oh, this is what Jason was talking about. So it's just really cool. He, he is such a cheerleader and I can't imagine being in this business without him because it's a really big roller coaster ride. There's ups, there's downs. We win some, we lose some. That's never going to change. That's just how music business is. But he's like the one constant that I have in my life where I know I can come home, lay my head down and know that someone loves me and I love him. And and that's pretty special because I mean, at the end of the day, if that's all I had, cool. You know what I mean? Like that, that to me is the most important thing. Oh, I love that. And, you know, I know you just mentioned Chattahoochee's, which is what we're going to get to here in a second. And I don't want to like skip over the music that you and Jason did make and high dive heart. You know, I, I hate to just like brush over that, but I <laughs> think okay. the, the next, the next thing that I think people really recognize is the gone West situation yeah. coming together. And I know uh, Jason and, and had written for Colby and had done a lot of things with Colby over the years. So there was that connection, but how, how did you guys decide to bring that whole group together? You know, it's funny, Colby and Justin moved to Nashville because they wanted to try a new place. I think at that point they had been together maybe like eight years or something. So they had been coming to visit a lot. And at some point they were like, okay, let's just move, make the move. And I thought that was really bold and brave and cool because I mean, Colby especially had been in California pretty much her entire life and she lives so close to her family. And so anyway, long story short, they moved here and then we did a tour together for Colby when Jason and I were in high dive heart, which was a great phase of our life. We got a record deal, got dropped, (laughs) Uh, but we made some really cool music that I will forever hang my hat on. Just like music. I was really proud of. And that also is what during that phase of high dive heart is what really developed Jason and I as like a songwriting partnership, writing with other artists because people would hear high dive heart and want to write with Jason and I together. So that kind of laid a cool foundation for us writing songs together for other people. Long story short, Colby asked us to go on tour with her. So we opened for her, Justin opened for her. It was just a really fun time out on the road together. And so that kind of sparked the idea of like, what if we tried writing a song? And next thing you know, we wrote a song. We're like, oh, that's really good. Maybe we should write another song. And literally as fate would have it, one song led to the next, to the next. Next thing you know, we're getting a record deal and playing the Opry and boom, back out on country radio tour. <laughs> I was like, wow, how did that happen? You know, but it really started with Jason and Colby's connection as songwriters, because had they not had the success that they had together, I would have never met Jason. And then Colby met Justin because Justin played in her band. So literally everything came back to Jason and Colby being 20 something years old, writing these songs on the beach, her friend posting them on MySpace, and boom, it blew up and it changed both of their lives. And 
because of that gone west naturally happened because it just we were all hanging out together all the time so when you hang out all the time you start making music and the next thing you know you're in a band like a super group of some sort you know and the band was together for what about two years almost two years yeah yep and i don't think i ever heard the official reason for why things i know colby and justin decide to break off their relationship um, yeah. but I don't think I ever heard the reason as to why it was just kind of like, all right, we're no longer a group. I just saw the Instagram post one day and I was like, I feel like I want to ask, but I also don't want to bother anybody. So I'm you know gonna... what, <laughs> if you, if you ever find out that reason, would you mind telling me? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that sounds rough. Um, no, listen, I think that all good things come to an end, yeah. you know, and, and I feel like the pandemic was like a pressure cooker for a lot of things in the world and any, any kind of anything that was bubbling. I feel like it was almost a blessing in some ways to be in lockdown and to be still and to kind of have to face certain things that maybe needed to change in your life. You know, although it wasn't uh, Jason and I's decision, uh, we very much supported it and very much wanted what's best for everybody. Ultimately, everyone's happiness and peace and fulfillment in regards to just loving what they're doing in life. Like that's the most important thing, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful gone West even happened. Like I said, I would not have gotten back on the artist train if it weren't for Colby and Justin and Jason and the idea of gone West, I would have just kept writing songs for other people. And, hid behind my little curtain and been totally fine with it. Uh, So although I was heartbroken when it ended, it lit a spark in me that I don't think is going to go away for a long time. And I was in denial, if I'm being honest, before Gone West happened. I still think I wanted to do the artist thing. I just was so brokenhearted that I didn't know how to start up again. Sure. So I feel like Gone West healed that wound and it, it helped me get back on the horse, you know, and just be like, you can do this. Plus you have all the experience that you had from the first run. So parlay it into the next thing, you know, and like you said, one thing leads to the next, to the next. And then here I am in another band. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it's pretty clear that, you know, you seem to have the bug because even you know before Chattahoochee started to come together, you were releasing your own songs yeah. as well. Uh, I know you got yeah. the, the cowgirl EP that came out um, a little bit I ago. Did. Yeah. And that was like, I think doing the solo thing for a bit was a really great, growth spurt for me. It's something that I had never done before. And I think it challenged me to become a better writer, producer, singer. And so of course, in the middle of putting that out was when the Chattahoochees were birthed. In my mind, I thought I was just going to do the solo thing. Again, you can't plan your life out, right? What is it? You make plans and God laughs at them. So uh, (laughs) that's kind of what happened. Like, oh, I'm putting all this energy into my solo stuff. And then Meanwhile, Summer, Audra, and I are writing these really cool, funny, cheeky country songs. And Mike Elizondo hears them and he's like, I want to make a country record on you guys. When Jason found that out, he was like, You don't do that. You're freaking crazy. Because <laughs> Mike Elizondo is just this world renowned producer that has done everything from freaking Dr. Dre, Eminem to Nickel Creek to Carrie Underwood to Keith Urban, like played bass on. John Mayer, like his discography is just nuts. But what's even crazier than that is he's like one of the nicest, most humble (laughs) family men I've ever met. So once I got to know him and I saw this amazing studio that he had and it caught his vibe, I was just like, I knew that making the Chattahoochee's album was going to be something that I 
wanted to do, needed to do. And I also knew that as important as my solo stuff was in that that process of me learning and doing it, I knew that the Chattahoochee's very quickly was probably going to become my primary focus because again, there's a power in numbers. And I love how writing with Audra and Summer, it's brought out the countryest side of what I do for sure. Like these are the countryest songs I've ever been a part of. And I freaking love that because that's why I moved to Nashville. You know, the chicks, like hearing songs like Wide Open Spaces. Are you kidding me? Like those are the songs that I wanted to hang my hat on and be like, that's the bar, you know? So yeah, here we go. Round, (laughs) round three, I guess I'm in a country band again. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I'm excited to share more of this story uh, just for the purposes of this podcast. I'm gonna, I know you know what we're doing here, um, but I, I'm going to be speaking to all three of you, and then we're going to yeah. have one conversation with the three of you together, which could be yeah. interesting because multiple people on a Zoom call is always an interesting conversation. But I, I, I do have to ask the question because I'm going to ask each of you this question, and I'm so curious okay. how each of you will answer it. Uh, not okay. that I think that you're all going to have all these crazy different things, but so- it sounds to me like the Chattahoochee's was very organic. Like it just kind of happened one day. So maybe the question is, how did the Chattahoochee's happen? Okay, great question. We all knew of each other. I've been friends with Summer for a long time, became a huge fan of her through the Avenue Beat stuff that she was writing. And actually her and I wrote a lot Which, together. by the way, I'm going to talk to her about this. It breaks yeah. my heart that we don't, we won't get more Avenue Beat stuff. Like that album is so good. The EP they put out before that was so good. It just yeah. it destroys me that that that's it for that band. I loved them so much. <laughs> Those girls are magic straight up. Who knows what the future holds for them, but they're each going to have their own success in their own way. And that's really how I became close with Summer was through writing with Avenue Beat and Summer together. That's how I learned what an incredible songwriter she was. And I'm best friends with Summer's sister, Harmony. And Harmony's husband, Patrick, has done all of our music videos. When I say all of them, I mean like High Dive Heart, Gone West, all of them, right? He, he's also who does all of Dan and Shay's yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's P, P. Tracy, is that what? Tracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so P. Tracy and Harmony, like, they're like best friends with Jason and I. So I've been around Summer for, oh, for, for a long time. And then, but we didn't really connect on our really close friendship until we started writing together. And then I'm like, I can't wait for you to get to talk to her. Cause she's extremely funny. She's got a very dry, quiet, sneaky sense of humor. Oh, good. And yeah. And then we just became best friends and, and lo and behold, I got set up to write with Audra just randomly Warner Chapel. We both write for Warner Chapel. They set us up and she comes over and I'm like, Hey, who do you like to work with? Who do you like to write with? And she's like, well, and she went down the list and like the second or third person she said was Summer. And I'm like, oh, we should call her. She's one of she's one of my favorites. So we called her and her right canceled that day. Oh, wow. So she literally just did a hard right turn and, and came over to my house and we wrote this song, which I don't know if it's going to be the last song on the album, but it's the saddest song on the album is called Dying Well. And at the time, my grandmother was passing away. It, this was right after a really famous songwriter busby had just passed away yeah. very quickly and un- unexpectedly to cancer and jason and i actually did a song with him on high dive heart it's called sunrise it's actually our number one song on spotify which is really weird yeah i actually when you said that i was like i noticed that was up near like the top yeah 
Yeah, it's kind of eerie because that was the only song that we ever put out with him and he produced it with us and wrote on it with us. But anyway, when he passed away, it really rocked the music community yeah. because he was so young and the way that he handled his last few months, just hearing the stories about the things that he did to leave an impact on people, it inspired us to write the song and the hook on it is about the, the art of dying well. Mm you know, and about how like, it doesn't matter if you leave a famous farewell, you know, it's about the love, the love that you leave when you're gone. And it's a heartbreaking song. I cannot wait for you to hear it. And that's the first song we ever wrote together, but it was literally just that a songwriting session, no expectations. I was still in Gone West. So my brain wasn't thinking that this was a band at all. And we pitched Dying Well to so many artists, nobody wanted to cut it. And then it wasn't until the pandemic, we started writing these really funny songs because it was not a funny time. It was a hard time. Yeah. You know, it was a sad time. COVID hit and we were in lockdown. Jason and I's world got turned upside down very quickly. We went from like opening for George Strait. Then we released an album virtually. And then the band broke up right after shooting a music video for never getting over you and we're literally in lockdown and so these girls Audra and Summer just started coming over and sitting out by the fire we'd drink whiskey or tequila and smoke things <clears throat> <laughs> and, uh, and that was kind of our way of coping with the sadness of the world and even though everybody was still pretty isolated we were comfortable hanging out with each other especially because we were outside and just enjoying each other's company and making each other. I have never laughed so hard. And when I was with those girls around the campfire, it was like, I felt like I was being transported into a different universe. And for a moment, the world felt right again. Yeah. And it felt happy and it felt light and it felt funny. And to this day, I can't believe that we kind of created this little subculture around the campfire in the middle of like one of the hardest times in the world, you know, and it was just the joy of writing funny songs that got us through it. <laughs> I love it. And so we wrote these songs like itching for a bitchin, um, stoned. We wrote a lot of funny songs and that's when Jason started to say, this is going to be something, this is going to be huge. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but anyway, then we went to Malibu and just kind of locked ourselves in the house, did a, like a writing trip. But again, it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, we're in a band, you know? Yeah. At that point, Summer had started to play some of these songs on TikTok and they were getting traction. Like when she played Itchin' for a Bitchin', people were like, whoa, what's that? And a lot of these funny songs that we wrote as a joke started to grow legs on TikTok. So when we went to Malibu, she was like, I think we really have something here. We should focus on this, this country comedy thing that we've got going on. So we just kept rolling with it. And we wrote My Brother Stole My Boyfriend. We wrote um, Panhandle Scandal, all these songs that are just hysterical but then we also started to flavor in some serious songs like you know comeback cowboy what's the other one i don't know there's a couple others that are also serious anyway long story short when we were in malibu mike elizondo randomly called audra about something else and he was like what are you guys doing there and we told him like oh we're writing these songs for fun blah 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 and he knew me from high dive heart because jason and i wrote with him once he knew Summer from something he had done with her. And then he worked with Audra. So he knew all three of us separately. And he was like, wait a minute. The three of you girls are writing songs 
and singing them, I have to hear this. <laughs> so we sent them these work tapes that we had done, you know, on my little home studio rig, like acoustic work tapes. And he called us the next day and was like, we're making an album. He goes, oh, sorry to interject myself into your situation. And I understand you probably, you might want to explore other options and talk to other producers, but I really want to produce you guys. <laughs> I think." <laughs> and we're like, well, how do you say no to that? Um, but immediately Mike had this clear cut vision that aligned so perfectly with the kinds of songs that we were writing and the aesthetic vibe of what we were trying to capture, which is like real country music. Yeah. So we just took a leap of faith and said, let's do it. You know, let's do it. 13 songs are done That's now. Awesome. Yeah. The album is done. It's just being mixed. We've, we, we did it in two weeks. Wait, you recorded the whole thing already? We recorded the whole thing. Oh my, this, this happens so much faster than I thought. I, I can't wait to talk have, to all three of you because this happens no so idea. much faster. This is the fastest thing I have ever done in my entire life. I don't even know how long it took Gone West from start to finish to write all the songs, record all the song. I, I have no idea. It was very long. Jane Deere was even longer than that. This has been the most underthought. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. Like we wrote 13 songs. We didn't write any extra songs. The 13 songs we wrote made the album. Like that's it. You know, usually you write 30 songs, 40 songs, you narrow it down. We didn't do that. Like the 13 songs we had fit together so perfectly. We had started a few others that we didn't finish that we'll probably finish for album two, but that's literally how we did it. And we recorded a lot of these songs singing live in three different rooms at the same time. Oh my gosh. Which is absolutely the most old school country yeah. throwback way of, of doing it. And I, I remember when Mike first suggested it, I was thinking, that's so hard. You have to be so good to do that. I don't know if we can do that. And he was like, you're going to do it. Just psh, go try it. <laughs> and like on certain songs, it worked not, not on every song, but like certain songs, when you hear this song called comeback cowboy, we sang it live in three different rooms at the same time. And it's just kind of been the most magical thing I've ever done in my entire life in a sense of, I feel like the songs kind of plop, like fell into our lap. I mean, we wrote some of these songs in an hour, literally, yeah. you know, just some of them took longer than others, but it, I feel like these songs were kind of already sitting out in the universe and we just had to open our minds to capturing them, you know, in some weird way. Well, I, I kind of want to stop there uh, because I, I'm formulating so many questions in my head that I think will be better for our group conversation that we have oh, yeah. uh, with all yeah. three of you together. Um, but, oh, my gosh, I, I'm so glad I asked you that. I can't wait to hear the Again, I don't think the answers are going to be too dissimilar, but I love when you ask different people the same question and see where the differences are in the, you know, in the well, conversation. And there's one other, there's one other thing I left out that I should say, and that's when Audra first came over to my house. <laughs> she actually doesn't know this. This will be funny. Okay. But she played me like I, I knew of Audra. I had hung out in like group settings with her, but she played me some music before we were going to start writing. And when her voice came through the speakers, I literally almost just fell out of the chair. I, it was one of the craziest out of body experiences I've ever had. Just hearing her voice come through the studio monitors. I was like, this is one of the most insane vocals I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, it's actually a Bob Dylan cover. You can go listen to it on her Spotify of times that are changing. Anyway, that's like the perfect fit for her. Like her covering Bob Dylan is like the perfect fit. Go listen to this. 
she's playing live, singing live. It was so good. I looked at her and I was like, what's your plan? This is some of the, this is like the most insane thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's so good. And that's when I was like, so who else do you like to write with? And that, that's when in my brain, I was thinking, I don't want to write with her just by myself. I got so nervous. <laughs> like I was like, oh my God, I'm in the room with like one of the best singers in the entire world. I don't want to suck. I can't do this by myself. And luckily she mentioned summer and I was like, oh, Summer is amazing. That'll help me just feel not as nervous. So then when summer came over, it just, I don't know, the energy was so perfect to write that song together on that first day. But the reason I wanted someone to come help us write is I, I the minute I heard Audra's voice, I was starstruck. I literally was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Summer's really. your buffer. You called it a buffer. I was like, who do I know that can like throw it down? And Summer's one of the best songwriters and Audra is too. And they're, they're both freaky. But anyway, that that's the other part of the story I kind of left out. And uh, it's the truth. No, that's awesome. I'm glad you shared that with me because that'll be good to compare with Audra's notes when we, uh, when we talk with her. So I'm excited to do that. <laughs> I love this idea. I love it. I'm so excited to talk to all three of you separately before we get everybody together. And I'm so appreciative that you're giving me this much time to, uh, to chat with you today. Cause uh, I just, I, I love, love having this conversation. I feel like I learned so much more about you today and, and I'm excited about that. So thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, you're going to be one of the first Chattahoochee interviews ever. I, I, you know, and that's totally accidental too, which makes it even better. Cause I just wanted to talk to so you cool. three. I had no idea the album was done. I had no idea you were doing an album. I had none of, yeah. none of that was in my brain until we talked today. Oh yeah. Album's done. And I think next year we're just going to figure out how we're doing it. If we're going to partner with somebody to release it, are we, you know, there's so many different ways to put out music these days. Yeah. And so we'll definitely keep you posted. And, um, and we'll just see where where it where it takes us. I just know we we love country music and um that's where all of our hearts are at. 100%. This is going to be the countryest thing I've ever done in my entire life, which is so exciting because I feel like that's why I got into songwriting was falling in love with like the Judds, for example. Yeah, for sure. I feel like this is this is kind of a full circle moment for me in a good way. Well, I love it. I, I've heard the stuff you've shared on social media, uh, but I'm really excited to hear more. So I, I'm so psyched for all of this project and for my future conversations with your bandmates. But uh, Nelly, seriously, thank you so much. Uh, you've given me way more time than I even asked for initially. So I appreciate you sharing all that with me. Well, you're the best. We love you. Jason loves you. And I hope I could see you in real life very soon. Big thank you to Nellie Joy for her time today. If you haven't heard the Chattahoochee's music yet, do yourself a favor and look them up on Instagram and TikTok. Next week, I'll be catching up with Audra May, so make sure you subscribe to the Adult Education Podcast so you don't miss out on that. Thank you so much for sharing some of your day with me. I'm Jeff St. Pierre. Until next time, be well.